So I must say it is bittersweet for me to come to the end of this gospel. It has been a very joyful experience for me, and it does sadden me to leave it. I have enjoyed going through it. I've grown from it. I hope that you have also grown from it, and there's really so much depth to the text of the Gospel of John, and we could have spent far more time in it, but it is time to say farewell to this text for now, to the Gospel of John, and this will be the last message in it tonight. And so as we look at this passage today, this restoration of Peter, a few things to think about as we get into the text. Let us think of our own sin. Let us think of our, our own ways that we have fallen short of God's glory, the ways that in our own lives we have fallen like Peter has. Let us think of how gracious our God is that he has reconciled us sinners to him, even though that we did not earn it, even though we've done nothing to deserve it, he has given us this gift. Let us think of his goodness towards us. Let us remember the amount that we have been forgiven. Let us not think of Peter as someone that is different than us, that someone is unlike us, that we could never fall in the ways that Peter has. Let us remember the amount that we, each and every one of us, has been forgiven. Because when you realize you've been forgiven much, you will forgive much. When you realize that you've been loved much, you will love much. And if we are to love like Christ has called us to love, to love like He loves, sacrificially laying down our lives for one another, carrying one another's burdens, we must first realize how great of love He has for us. And when we see that, we then love how he has asked us to. And so those are some things I want you to think about tonight as we get into the text. So with that, let's look at the text tonight. In verse 15, it says this, when they had finished breakfast, if you recall from last week, if, if you weren't here when I preached, the, the previous story there in John chapter 1, 21, is when the disciples are out on the boat, they're fishing, Jesus comes to them, it's an appearance of the resurrected Lord, he waves to them, he tells them to cast their net on the other side, they have this great catch that they pull in, John instantly knows it's the Lord, and then Peter swims immediately to be with the Lord, and then there they have breakfast on the shore, and this is where John picks up, this is where we pick up tonight. And so they've finished with breakfast, and Jesus is now having a conversation with Simon Peter. Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? So the first thing I notice about this text when I look at it is that he says, Simon, son of John. This is his original name. This is the name that Peter had before he followed Christ. This isn't the name that Jesus gave him, which is Peter. But he uses his, his old name, his name prior to following Christ. And it's as if to say that because of his denial, because of his sin that has been undealt with at this point in time by the Lord, that he's not necessary, he cannot use that name. He cannot be called by that name until he's properly restored to the Lord. And at least until the Lord sees fit to call him that once again. And so as we go through these verses here, we hear Jesus ask Peter, do you love me? 
And Peter will respond, yes, Lord, I love you. And in the original text, the Greek text, there's different forms of the word love used. One is agape, which literally means the sacrificial love, the unconditional love. It's, it's a Christ-like love. Sometimes that verb is used. Other times it's the, the word phileo that's used. And this is brotherly love. We all know of the city of Philadelphia. It's known as the city of brotherly love. And this is where they get that name from this Greek word. And so as we go through this, John sometimes says agape, sometimes he says phileo. And some have said that because of this, John means different things by some of the different ways that they say, I, do you love me? But really, if we go through the Gospel of John, he uses these words interchangeably. And I don't see the difference, but I bring that up because you might have heard pastors preach on this, and they might use those words differently. But for, for now, I believe it's just some a style that John has decided to use. And so I don't see the distinction. But he says, he says to John, do you love me more than these? What is the z- these? What is the these he's talking about? There's been many opinions throughout history and many different, you can read different commentaries and find diff- a lot of different opinions and we can't truly know what the these are. But we can look at the context and, and make some good guesses to what they are. Some think it could be the fishing paraphernalia. What he has just been fishing with. He's talking to Peter. Peter's a fisherman. He's brought some of that stuff on the beach, so he's pointing to it. Peter, do you love me more than these things? So do you love me more than your job? Do you love me more than your livelihood? Which could make sense, right? Do you love me more than this? Some have said it's Peter, do you love me more than these disciples? You know, from this gospel, we know that him and John are actually very close friends. And so he's saying, do you love me more than these men? Do you love me more than these? This could be it. We cannot know for sure. The text just doesn't tell us. But this is my opinion, and this is what I believe it is. I believe Jesus is asking, do you love me more? Do you love me more than these men do? Do you love me more than they do? Why do I say this? Well, remember, Peter has fallen from grace. He has denied the Lord. And has he realized his forgiveness? Has he realized the grace that he's been forgiven of? If you think about the other disciples, yes, they scattered, but they did not sin the way that Peter sinned. They have not received the grace that Peter has in this instance. And so he's been forgiven much. And so will he love much? So the Lord is saying, do you love me more than them? Have you realized your sin? Have you realized how far you have fallen and how much I have lifted you up? And so, as I said in the beginning, with the greater knowledge of their sin... The greater knowledge of Peter's sin, it's a greater knowledge of the debt to Christ, the greater love one would have for Christ. And so, does he love Christ accordingly? His response will tell us. He says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I love you, Lord. And I want you to think about Peter before his denials. Think about his confidence before his denials. 
He was so confident that he would never fall away. He was so confident that he would never deny the Lord. If you remember his words from Luke in chapter 22, verse 33, he said this, Lord, I am ready to go with you to both prison and to death. In another instance, he says, they'll all fall away, but I won't, Lord. He was so confident. His spirit was willing, as the Lord said, but his flesh was weak. And soon enough, he would fail at that profession, and he would fail miserably, and he would deny the Lord. And it's as if Peter is now saying, I'm, not, I'm no longer going to be proud. I'm no longer going to question the Lord. He is confident that the Lord knows all things. He truly knows his heart, and he can say, Lord, you know that I love you. And as soon as he says this, Jesus gives him an immediate call to action. He, Jesus responds, he said, feed my lambs. He basically says, if you love me, you say that you love me, keep my commandments. You say that you love me, do my will. You say that you love me, then live like it. Feed my lambs. It's much like in John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Peter, if you love me, you will show it to me by the way that you feed my lambs. Also, he says here, his lambs. You know, Peter will be a pastor or a shepherd, an under-shepherd of the New Testament church. Jesus does not call those who Peter will pastor Peter's sheep. What's he call them? His sheep. They are Jesus Christ's sheep. They're his lambs. Oftentimes, do we think about this in the body of Christ? Do we think about this when we run into Christians, when we meet Christians throughout our life, even how we interact here? How do we treat one another? Do we treat one another as acquaintances, as just people we meet, or do we think that this person that I'm talking about, this is God's sheep? How do we treat his sheep? How do we love his sheep? Do we treat God's people as if they were his treasured possession? Or do we even think this way when we interact as the body of Christ? Do we even think of that these are His? These are God's people. And listen, especially to the leaders among us, and myself included, those who we teach and lead, it should cause us to revere what we are doing. They are God's sheep. It should cause us to respect the office and to be humble and to know that what we are teaching, we have a calling from God to not teach just general people, but His people. It is a high calling. Peter is commanded as a pastor to feed his sheep. So I want you to think about this for a second. He doesn't say, feed the world. He doesn't say, feed the unbeliever. Now, we would all agree that all are welcome. All should come. All should be welcome in this house to come and hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we all have the hope that as they hear the good news, that they would repent and that they would believe, that they would be saved and that they would be children of God. But we as leaders, we are called to tend the sheep. We are called to feed the lambs. It's for the household of God. That that is what our message, that is what our teaching, that is who we are to be 
shepherding. So all are welcome, but the body is who needs to be tended to. It's the body who needs to be fed. So Jesus often calls his people sheep or lambs. In other places, he calls the unbeliever goats. Often in today's world, we want to make the Lord's Day a day for the goats, a day for the unbelievers. We, in our churches across America, they play songs that are for the unbelievers, the one that the unbelievers like. We, we make our church houses fit for the ones who don't know God. We water down our messages and we tickle the ears of the goats. We tickle the ears of the unbelievers so that they can be comfortable with the message, so they can receive the message. But that's not what Jesus says here. He says, feed my sheep. And so instead of feeding the sheep, many churches feed the goats. They feed the unbelievers while they starve the sheep that's within their buildings. They starve the people of God. Now listen, we always want to welcome the unbeliever. And we hope that they come. And we hope that they come and do not remain an unbeliever. We hope that they come, they hear the message of the gospel, and that they believe. They get saved. We hope this with all our heart. But that doesn't mean that we change our church to welcome them. We remain. We remain faithful to what God has written in his word. We remain a church that feeds the sheep, not the one that feeds the goat or the unbeliever. So we welcome the unbeliever, but that does not mean we change the service to suit the unbeliever. And we see that happening all across our nation right now as we speak. And we must, as pastors, as leaders, we must feed his sheep. And so now Jesus repeats this twice twice more to Peter. He says to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And again, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved at this point. Why would you ask me a third time, God? Peter responds, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, again, feed my sheep. And so why Peter doesn't understand why it's a, there's a third time he would ask him, it should be obvious. It should be obvious to all of us. Why three times? Why does Jesus make him confess his love to him three times? It's for each one of those three denials. Peter says something interesting that third time. He says this to the Lord. Lord, you know everything. And you know that I love you. Lord, you know my heart. You know my thoughts. You know everything. I hope you can see the change in Peter's life right here. Let me try to explain it to you. From the perspective of Peter, he, he would probably say, I used to know everything. I used to think that I could question God. I used to say, think that when the Lord told me that I would fall, I could say to him, I'll never fall. He was so confident that he knew, not Jesus. He was so confident in himself rather than Christ. 
But here, he now says, Lord, you know all things. I don't know. I don't know the future. Last time I thought I knew the future, I fell away. Last time I thought I knew the future, I denied you three times. Now, Lord, I know that you know all things. You know my future. You know my heart. You are my Lord. And so the Lord has commanded Peter that if he loves him, that he is to feed his sheep. I want you to think about this for a minute. Oftentimes we think that, you know, we're going to go do God's will. And as Peter, you know, think about it. He's like, God has told me if I love him, I'm going to go feed his sheep. And that's exactly what Peter's going to do. And we know that from history. It's exactly what Peter, you can read to the book of Acts. You can see that he's going to go and feed his sheep. And what Jesus didn't say is, is Peter, everything in your life is going to go well. When you go to do my will, everything will be perfect. He doesn't say that he'll have everything that he wants. He doesn't say that he'll be rich and blessed. He doesn't say that all his wildest dreams will come true. Instead, he says, after your life of service, after giving your life to me, after doing what I have commanded, you'll be let off and you'll be executed. Man, that's a tough one for Peter to hear. He says it in verse 18, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then John makes sure to tell us here that this he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So Peter, when you were young, you were free. You could do whatever you want. But when you're older, there's going to be a, a time where you're going to be taken prisoner. And not only taken prisoner, you're going to be executed. You're going to die a martyr's death. You're going to die for the faith. And many believe, according to tradition, he was crucified. But notice what Jesus is saying after predicting his death. He's basically saying, if you love me, feed my sheep, do my will. And then you're going to die. But follow me. Follow me anyway, Peter. Your service to me is going to end in your death. But follow me. Follow me even if it leads to death. Jesus expects nothing less of Peter. He expects nothing less of his disciples. And he has made this clear in his Gospels. He asks us to give up everything. All of our expectations in life. All of who we are. He asks us to give it up and follow him. In Luke 9.23 he said this. He said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. That's not me, God. It's you. Your will, God. Not my will. And take up his cross. That is, crucify yourself. And he says daily, crucify yourself. Daily, die to yourself and follow me. And he says, forever would save his life, lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake will save it. And he is calling Peter right now to do the same thing. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Follow me even unto death. And live for the kingdom of God. 
whoever would save his life will lose it. And Peter is literally faced with this reality. His life for Christ will end in his death. And I want you to think about Peter's life. It says, according to history, he served for about 30 to 35 years in the ministry. The whole time he had no clue when they were going to come, when they were going to bust down his door, however it would come, when they were going to break into the church building, however it would be, and take him by force, take him against his will, take him prisoner, and then have him executed. But he served the Lord. He went on. He carried through, and he knew that that was his future because he believed the words of the Lord. He knew that the Lord knew all things, and he knew that that was his future, and he served the Lord anyway. He didn't go hide in a hole. He didn't go running the other direction. He served the Lord, and he knew someday he would be taken against his will. And John lets us know in verse 19 that that death would glorify God. And so much like Jesus glorifies the Father in his death, Peter would glorify Christ, glorify God in his death. And so let's set aside those unique aspects of Christ's death. No Christian will ever die the way Jesus did. Jesus is the only Lamb of God that can take away the sins of the world. He's the only substitutionary death that we must trust in in order to be saved. He's the only one that suffered spiritually on the cross under the wrath of God. And so let's set that stuff aside because Christ glorifies God in all those ways. But there is a similarity to the way that Jesus dies and that the way that believers will die and how they can glorify God. So just as Jesus was willing to go to his death, willing to be faithful even unto death, he knew what he faced, he was willing to go to death, and he glorifies the Father in that. And here we see that Jesus has those very same expectations for Peter, that he would glorify God in his death, that Peter would be faithful in his service to God even unto death. And I want you to think about it for a second of how it glorifies Christ. Peter is the one who denied Christ. He's the one that has fallen, this lowly sinner. But God has given him new affections, new desires. He's empowered him by God the Holy Spirit to live a faithful life, to be his preacher, to be his minister, to do far more than Peter himself could ever even imagine. And not only that, Peter is willing to serve in the face of death, and Peter is willing to do it. So how much do the people that see Peter's life say, wow, how this man has been changed? Wow, how does this sinner become someone that is willing to even go to their death for Jesus Christ. Peter loved him so, he served him so, he served him with his life, and so much so that he glorified him in his death. And some might say, how is it that Christians could go to their death? How could they be a martyr for the faith? That seems impossible to me. And a lot of times to our American thinking, it does seem impossible to us. But you know, in the 15th century, the 16th century, the reformers faced similar deaths. They, they were burned alive for their faith. They would not recant and they preached while the flames took them. They were faithful unto death and Peter was faithful unto death. How is it that a believer can be faithful unto death? And it's really because we all 
have to cling to the blessed hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That this life we live, it's just temporary. That we believe his words that he went to prepare a place for us. We believe his words that he's overcome, that he has conquered sin and death. We believe his words that in him we have life and we have life abundantly. In him we have truly do have eternal life. And so Peter was able to face death knowing that this life is nothing. This life is a vapor. This life is just temporary. But eternity with Christ is everything. And that's what I look forward to. And so he held to his blessed hope that he would once again be with his Lord. In verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had also leaned back against him during supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And so before we see Peter be faithful, before we see him become that minister that's empowered by God the Holy Spirit, we see once again a weak man. Once again struggling like we all struggle, struggling in ways that we all struggle. And as soon as he hears that he's going to die, he asks, what about John? What about him? This doesn't seem fair. Is he going to suffer like me? Is he going to die in the way that I have to die? And so, like most of us, worrying about others rather than ourselves, worrying about what other people are called to do rather than what God has called each and every one of us to do. Peter is no different here. He's worrying about John, and he can't even think about what Jesus has just called him to do, which was, follow me. In verse 22, Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remains until I come, what is it to you? You follow me. He's basically saying, he'll live as long as I want him to. He'll live as long as I will it. Peter, it's none of your concern. It's none of your business. This is not what you should be focused on. Instead, you follow me and worry about what I have told you to do. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not to die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? And so in the first century, some had taken this saying of Jesus's, and they meant it to be that John would live until Jesus returned. But don't hear that. It's not what Jesus says, and John makes it clear here that Jesus was simply saying that if he willed it, it would happen. But that's not what happened, and it's not what Jesus was saying. He was just saying, if I wanted it to happen, it could happen. Nothing more. In verse 24, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. John now swears to what he has written. That this is true, that this testimony, this book of John, he is telling you right now that it is true. And this is important for a first century Jew. And I have a quote here from R.C. Sproul that tells us why it's so important for a first century Jew. Why did John feel the need to attest to his own credibility? As a Jew, he knew the sanctity of an oath. 
before God and the severity of the punishment for false witness. He understood the danger to his own soul if he vowed and did not pay. So here at the very end of his gospel, John takes an oath and he says of his testimony, we know that this testimony is true. John understands the seriousness that if he would have bared false witness in this book. And he has written this, this verse right here, so that you and I, reading this thousands of years later, would know that John is not lying to us. That he has not made this stuff up out of thin air. That this truly is what he has witnessed. This is his eyewitness account, and he is swearing to it that it is true. He now finishes his gospel with this verse, and this is where we also will finish this gospel. In verse 25, he says, Now there are so many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. The world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Many think that John is exaggerating here, that he didn't really mean that, but I actually think he did mean it. You know, in the very first verse of this book, what's he tell us about Jesus? That Jesus is the Word. That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ is the Word of God. This is the, he is the revelation of God. If we are to know God, He is the message to us to know Him. And so do you think that the world could ever contain all that God Himself has done? That the Word of God has said If you do, perhaps the God that you know in your mind is too small. Perhaps he's too confined to your understanding, too confined to your definition of him. But Paul says of our God in Romans 11, verse 33, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? You know, we only know, as his creatures, we only know what God has revealed to us. And what he's revealed to us in his word is sufficient to save us. It's sufficient that we would know him, that we would have a right relationship with him, that we would be saved, that we would know who Christ is. It's sufficient for all those things. But I believe it is only a sliver of who God is. So much so that the world itself could not contain all the books that would be written to define the triune God. Someday, in his presence, someday, in his classroom, maybe we'll get a glimpse of some of those books. My prayer and hope is that we will all be there someday to learn of who God is forever and for all of eternity.